Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, a programme where we investigate and discuss the old postcards that my guests treasure and love, or simply never got around to throwing away, and we find out what those cards mean to them. I'm Tom Jackson, and my guests today are Andrew Mayle and Bonnie Greer. Andrew and Bonnie, I'm delighted you could make it. It's lovely to be here. Great. Well, you know Andrew, I'm sure, from Distinguished Service at Mojo magazine, also for writing about music and film, radio, TV, lots of culture in Sight and Sound, The Guardian and other papers. Uh, You've also heard Andrew, I'm sure, on a number of cultural podcasts. And Andrew arrives bearing a Liverpool L62 postmark. Andrew, do you still sell postcards? Not as many as I used to. The iPhone did away with it, really, texting people. The main person who used to send postcards to me, my friend Simon, who I'm going to mention in a minute, we must have sent thousands of postcards to each other since you know we met in the late 80s, but hardly any these days. And your phone took over. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Bonnie Greer arrived in Britain with a postmark from the south side of Chicago. Uh, but she's been in the UK since 1986. Bonnie, uh, you know, is a highly regarded, critically acclaimed playwright, novelist, critic and broadcaster. Uh, she's far too prolific to list all her work uh, right now. Now, Bonnie gained British citizenship in 1997. So whatever mess we're in politically right now, she's in it too. <laughs> and she explains that very often in her regular contributions to the New European. Bonnie, how about you? When did you last send a postcard? Oh, I don't even remember. I, I mean, honestly, I just... <laughs> Yes, of course, the iPhone ended that. I don't even remember. I honestly don't. That's crazy. I'm probably going to have to ban both of you now. You know <laughs> I still buy postcards. Yeah, I still, that, I yeah definitely. Well, yeah, maybe, buy them, maybe, yes. maybe we'll let you stay. And, some, and sometimes them. I buy them with the intention of sending them, and sometimes I even write on the back of them with the intention of sending them. Far too many steps, aren't there? <laughs> exactly. And, 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 the, and the stamps, well, that's another yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. Now, Perhaps I am slightly obsessed with postcards, but I have a theory that postcards and their messages in some way permeate and parallel and track all our lives in surprising ways. I'm always interested to try and find a connection between my guests and their work and picture postcards. Now, Andrew, I was wondering, do you see any kind of cultural parallel between your work? And I'm thinking particularly of with Mojo that uh, really looks at music from the last 60-odd years. And that whole boom in post-war picture postcards. Do you see any connection there? I see a connection perhaps with 
the other things that I'm interested in that aren't music, like sort of weird fiction, ghost stories, turn of the century literature, post-war women novelists, you know, kind of that, that sense of all those things seem to capture something kind of quite ghostly and introspective and poetic. And I realized looking through the big bag of postcards that I still have, that I haven't thrown out, that they're the images that I tend to hold on to, the ones that kind of don't resolve, that there's something kind of peculiar and odd and a bit haunted about them. And I think that's one of the things that I like about the past postcards account, that sometimes um, you'll notice there's an account um, run by somebody who's a fan of the writer Robert Aikman. And he will retweet past postcards that read like Robert Aikman short stories. <laughs> and there's something of that. And it's something of, I think, the British identity, that kind of misty, cold, wet, <laughs> dank. Were you on holiday aspect. with me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, I, and, and postcards capture that and weird postcards capture that as well. And so they're the images and they're the postcards that I tend to be drawn to. That's interesting. I, I love the ones where the meaning shimmers. Yes. It works in two ways at once and they never resolve. Mm. That's interesting to me. And how about you, Bonnie? As a dramatist, reading old postcards is like eavesdropping. Yes. That's ready-made dialogue, surely. Yes. And also, I mean, I, I love looking at British postcards because they actually record a kind of angst and also a homesickness. It's interesting because other spaces other than your home are foreign, even if it's in the same country. And so this kind of transmission of the foreignness of something, of the escape of something. I mean, my husband grew up in the 50s, and he remembers going from his home, and they went to uh, Devon then for holiday, and the sort of remoteness of it, the otherness of it, this kind of nostalgia. But at the same time, you can't act like you're having a great time, which I also love. You can't, you're away, but you're not having that great a time. So that's what I, I actually love. And I wonder if they're being understated or whether they're genuinely not having a good time. I don't know. I, I think that they are not having it because, in a sense, <laughs> holiday is imposed on you. You have to take a holiday. You're supposed to do that. And if your neighbors are on holiday, you have to go too. Because if you aren't going, then either something you haven't got any money, and that's a bad thing to signal, or you're not well. Something's happened. So you have to go. And then you go, and you find your neighbors are there too. So you haven't <laughs> gone anywhere. It's just that it's the sea, maybe. It's the sea, and that's it. Well, that's a what a suitably bleak image. You, you, <laughs> that's you, you, why I love them. Picture. That's why I love them. Yeah. Okay, that bleakness combined with love. That's fine. Well, before we dig into the cards that my guests here have very kindly brought along to share with us, I'm going to break the ice with a couple of cards that I've brought. These two haven't been on Twitter or in the book. They are exclusive to the program. <laughs> so the first card I've got is what they call a multi-view, four images of Edinburgh. The card was published by Valentine's, very old... Um, Scottish postcard publisher. It's got a nice picture of Prince's Street, the castle, the fourth bridge, looking a little bit out of date now, and St. Giles Cathedral. It's from 1969. And the message that I've selected from this reads like this. We went up into the mountains with the locks and lake. And on the way up there, I was as sick as a dog. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so poor old Helen um, didn't didn't enjoy her journey. And then one more one more before we go to the proper stuff. This is a card from Whitby. A really good picture of the sands at Whitby. 
full of people, unbelievably blue sky, really. I think some work's been done Literally. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> literally unbelievable. And this is from 1973. This is, this is an odd one. Plenty of people about. The phone boxes are lovely. Tell Trev. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, what, what, I, I, what did... I don't know. What did Trevor... I, was Trevor an aficionado of phone boxes? Or, or he never, maybe it's he never rings. Yeah. I don't know. That's great. I think that's probably it, it. Yeah. 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 But And phone boxes, you know, they're gone. They're gone. Yes. No more phone boxes. That's right. But that's, that's the other lovely thing about the postcard as well, isn't it? It's a private communique, but you're writing on the back so that everyone can see it. Yes. You know. So a bit of discretion and maybe some code. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Trev. Yeah, Trev. Lucky old Trev. Always yes. Trev now. Not in the yes. phone box. No. On his mobile. Killing postcards off. Um, <laughs> well, enough of that. Enough of my nonsense. Uh, Bonnie and Andrew, you've kindly come along here today, armed with postcards of your own to talk about. Andrew, you've already cheated, I think. I think rather than bringing one, you've got, you got two at a time. <laughs> well, what I have you got brought here? a longer selection, and the presenter told me to bring both of them in. Typical. So. <laughs> typical. But I'll start with um, the first one. It's, I suppose it's best to describe it as a fan de siècle moon-faced dandy. And it's a picture of a an automaton from the turn of the century, I think probably inspired by George Melies' uh, Journey to the Moon because the the moon face on the postcard is very much kind of a a Melies moon. And this is one of the first postcards sent to me by my friend Simon, who I met on a teacher training course in Oxford in 1989. It's from 1992, and I think maybe before sort of folk horror really took off as a thing, it existed in Simon's postcards because he was always trying to find these haunting and eerie and nightmarish and poetic images to send me. I'd send him postcards back, and, and between the two of us, I think we must have sent over a 1,000 postcards to each other between the late 80s when we first met and, as I said, when we both first got our iPhones. And kind of, it'd be interesting to see a kind of a chart on the connection between the death of the postcard and the the rise of text messaging. Oh. I mean, we still send each other occasional strange images, that, but we tend to do it more with the iPhone camera and pictures that we take. I, I remember that moon image being all over things in the late 80s. Mm. It would be yeah. in fashion mm. and in home interiors and not, not just from the Melies image, but moons generally seem to be, I don't know why that would have been. Yeah, I, and kind of um, he, you know, writes on the back, he says... Um, this card, I'm certain, should give you some macabre amusement. It's one of those peculiar ornaments from another age, intended to make small children laugh with innocent glee. It curdles the blood in my veins each time I even glimpse it. It will, I think, be the subject of another short story. Oh, we were talking about a short story that um, I was writing, or that he'd written called The Figure in the Cheese. The Case of the sm- Smoking Moon Dandy. He says, and it says, um, this is a very much a postcard communicator. says, if you are still there, please get in contact. I am still at the boarding house, and even the stamps I put on postcards are beginning to disturb me. Oh, my goodness. I'm still at the boarding house sounds like a card from 1903. Exactly, Exactly. yeah. That's amazing. And and, and you've kept it, why? uh, One, because I think it's such a powerful image, and it is quite sort of nightmarish and disturbing, but quite compelling. But also, I used to, in my 20s, I basically used to decorate my kitchen with postcards, very much in the kind of Orton, Halliwell kind of montage thing. 
And when I was going through the postcard sort of package, I was looking at pictures that my wife had taken of my kitchen and my bathroom. And the images basically looked like images from a nightmare. I can't believe that <laughs> I lived in this kind of, you know, these kind of chaotic kind of <laughs> images. At the time, I thought this is very cool to have a sort of photo montage. And I remember seeing a picture of the Iris Murdoch's kitchen and they had a sort of photo montage mm. as well. And I thought it looks quite good. And I look at those pictures now and I just, it, they seem very far away. Yes. So that you world. You had something yeah. made. You got something oh, made. Yeah. So, so now you live in a minimalist. Yes. <laughs> reflective. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Yeah, we change, we change as we grow. Yeah. yeah. You guys now you snuck made. in another card, Andrew. I did. Breaking more rules. Yeah. So what, um, what's this one This about? is of Shakespeare's birthplace from the garden in Stratford-upon-Avon and it's a lenticular card and the fascinating thing Which, about it for those who don't know oh no you well you should explain 3D yeah that the pictures are layered and they're kind mm. of sandwiched together with plastic so that in this case it's not really motion is it it's more like you can get an illusion yeah, of it's death. kind of like an yeah, illusion yeah. of 3D yeah. and the one thing that's fascinating about it is that it seems obviously I would imagine that in the 70s or early 80s when this was made that the lenticular card was quite expensive to make. I think so. And yet it's quite a boring image on the front. <laughs> it's of a sort of out of focus kind of blob in the foreground and then these three people engaged in some sort of menage, you know, kind of strange kind of tense like, relationship. Like there there, there are those who would say Three perfectly innocent people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. But no, your imagination, no, however. But I'm showing this like to Charles Bonnie. There's, but there's something else going on. There's this man who looks like a sort of Star Trek extra in the, well, in the background, does, actually. who's watching Charles and Camilla engaging in conversation. Kirk, yes. And then, can you just see Bonnie in yes. the doorway? There's a fourth figure. Yes, there is. Yeah. So again, there's that haunted quality to it. It's a yes. ghostly white face in the doorway, and it's sort of. And, and the, if you and turn, you can only see it when you turn it. A and certain the, and way. the garden is vibrating. Yeah, this, the garden is quite psychedelic. Yes, the it way is. It's, there's something so, about those lenticulars that I don't know why, because all photographs are still. Yeah, but there mm-hmm. seems to be a sort of extra level of stillness when you Absolutely. look at them. I don't know how that works, but you feel it like they're frozen in time. Yes. yes, well, that's exactly it. It looks like three or four people frozen in time yes. in this in Shakespeare's psychedelic garden, <laughs> and I like the combination of of the banal. The psychedelic and the terrifying. And what would Shakespeare have thought if he'd, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the slightly unlikely well, notion really, that he was still alive? Being a big fan of the first Star Trek season, as we now call it, I'm surprised there wasn't an episode in which Kirk and Spock visited Shakespeare's birthplace. Yeah, it would have been great. Yeah. Still to come. Still to come. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And what's the story about that card in terms of how you got it or why you started Oh, the story is very much the same, that it was another card sent to me by um, <laughs> Simon. And again, he, is, he has written a narrative on the back. He says, um, imprisoned in the planar limits of the third dimension, <laughs> these three characters have arrested all the profundity and pathos of their tragic condition. And <laughs> so he said, We're going to get it, Simon here next time. Go. Yeah. He's doing the work. He's got to come here. It captures the psychological truth and the weighty symbolism beyond the dreams of Monk, Picasso and Truffaut. He's like, we were students. Yeah, you know, yeah, what can yeah, I say? Very good. Yeah. And he says, look, it also reveals the existence of a hidden fifth dimension. There is a diabolical specter in the doorway. Right. And then again, the banal detail at the end. Hope the Junction Road move-in has been sweet. Put this one on the mantelpiece and ignore it at your peril. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Bonnie, what's your first card? What have you got to show us? Well, uh, the first one is a postcard from the National Gallery. And I don't know when I picked it up, but it's of a Degas called Miss Lala at the Cirque Fernando. And it's the first image that I ever saw maybe it's shortly after I came here, but of an African woman in a uh, master's painting. I'd never seen it before, not as a subject, always as somebody in the background, never women, but but someone in the background. And I was just really, I mean, her hair was exactly the way a, a black woman's hair is. It was in a natural state. She's hanging from the ceiling of the circus. That was her act. And I just remember standing in front of it and thinking, you know, the kind of attention Degas had to have paid in order to get the angle. Uh, We can see him actually or have a sense of him actually sitting in the seat of this tent circus looking at this woman who is in, I think this was 1870s or something, and she's kind of in a white outfit. And she's literally hanging by her teeth from a rope in the ceiling, and I guess she twirls. And the attention, I was just really moved by the attention that Degas paid to this. And I know he was doing it as an exercise for himself as well in terms of perspective and everything. But he paid so much attention to her, got her right in so many ways, that this idea of this black woman hanging from a circus uh, ceiling actually reminded me of my own life <laughs> at that point. So I thought, oh, that's kind of an inspiration for the first novel I want to write. So I called it Hanging by Your Teeth. It's going to be reissued. And it's kind of like an odyssey of this young black woman as she's going through the world. So this was a very important piece of work for me. I'm very visual, and it's how I get inspired to write. And so it's still there, and it's quite a moving piece of work as well. That he wanted to actually immortalize her is what moves me as well. What I like about Degas is the, I think he's sometimes misrepresented as being 
a painter of great elegance in the dance. Yes. And actually, I think he's a painter of physicality in the exactly, dance. Exactly. You can see the work going on. The images are, they feel semi-backstage. Exactly, exactly. And also, so you can, you can you feel can, her muscles there. You can, and you can also sense his eye. He's done in such a way that you we're not looking straight on at her. We're in the seat in the circus itself, and we're looking up at her. And... He's caught his own eye looking at her and studying her, which I think is amazingly masterful. And it's also, it is kind of backstage in a way, because he's also depicted the work. This takes, you know, as you say, you can see her muscles, but it also takes enormous work, the training. And she's hanging by her teeth Mm -hmm. from a rope, so it's... um, yeah, there's a real tension to it the is, image, absolutely, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. Both, obviously, in both senses of, exactly. that, of that word, you, you feel that moment exactly. ongoing. And you can also sense him sketching her yeah. quite quickly as well and then, you know, filling it in later. So all of those metaphors, all of that action, all of that actually inspired my first novel. And so I, I keep it up in front of me to remind me. That's also, of my life here, and to tell you the truth. <laughs> so it's still a very important piece of work for me. A little postcard you bought has all those yeah. resonances and yeah. a bouncing off point for... A novel, yeah. Yeah, that's extraordinary. And also to look at that part of history, I've always been, not always, but I suddenly became very interested in France from the time of the Commune, which is going to be the subject of my next play. And and all of this happened around that time and inspired by this picture. Fantastic. Bonnie also raised another reason why we buy postcards as well because they, they capture, we see a metaphor for our own life or mm. our own selves at a certain point. That's very good. That's and very yet you're, you're not looking at, at purely as, as the painting. You're kind of seeing something of, not seeing of your, something of yourself, the person in there, but something of your emotional state at that time or where yes. you are in the world at that time. And the image captures something of that. And then, you know, in the different way from like seeing a, a photograph in a gallery, it's something that you could then take away and, and put in front of you at home. And reflect on it. Yeah. Yes. In this case, extrapolate Absolutely. From it. Yes. But it is you, isn't it? That's absolutely true. I hadn't thought about it like that. I mean, you pick up something because it's saying something about you. Hmm. Even if you're not aware of it, even if you're never aware of it, it does. And... So this, because I didn't write anything on the back of it, it just keeps resonating in a mm. sense. So, Very good. Well, that's a good argument for postcard shops in, in museums and <laughs> yes, galleries. Yes, Absolutely. Go and yes. Go and get inspired. Yes. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that one, Bonnie. So, Andrew, what's the second, no, in your case, third card that you've brought along? This is something with a different kind of feel to it, I think. This is a postcard of Leon C. I think it's a, um, mm. like a fishing trawler and the marshes at Leon C., on a what looks like a sort of an autumn, late autumn day. And it's quite a sort of, I suppose one person might look at it and see it as a quite a very beautiful image and someone else might look at it and see it as quite a bleak image. It's a postcard that my wife, Colette, sent to my mum around 2009. But I didn't see it until after my mum's death in September 2012. We were clearing out the house and we discovered that mum had kept every birthday card, every postcard, every drawing, every letter that, I and my brother and my my sister had ever sent to her. But she'd also kept these postcards that my wife would send to her whenever she was off traveling on her own. And the thing is, my my wife never told me that she was sending these postcards to my mum. It was just this communique between Colette and my mum. It was just something nice that she did. 
And I only found them when we were going through all her belongings. And I was, I just found it really quite powerful and quite moving because it was a kind gesture by a good person done in and of itself. And probably at the time, I wasn't sending that many postcards to my mum myself. So it was almost like my wife was kind of doing this in a silent way, saying kind of keep those lines of communication open. But also just because that's one of the things that the postcard does in a way that a letter doesn't. It's a way of sort of communicating place. Mm -hmm. And the the messages to to my mum was called Flow. The messages to Flow were always kept very simple. It just says, today I went on a day trip to the seaside and I thought of you and your tour around the coast of Britain. I would recommend you add Leon Sea to your list of places to visit. The fish and chips are lovely. Hope all is good with you. Lots of love, Colette. And I think when she sent that, my mum was quite housebound and I don't think there, you know, there was an idea of another trip round Britain planned. But it's just lovely that that's the context that she put it in. And yeah, I, I found these postcards that I didn't know about and I just found it incredibly moving. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Our postcards seem to be an easy... Well, they're easy, they're gone. Yeah. Said, but, yes. but they were an easy way... It was easy to drop someone a postcard. Yeah. We're writing a letter even in the 60s and 70s, began to feel a bit more serious. serious. Yes. It's a proper thing, a letter. Yeah. A letter's what you promised. Yeah. A postcard's what you sent. Yes. yes. So thank you for sharing that one, Andrew. That's a, I can see that that's not going to get thrown away, that card. No. You've got one more for us, Bonnie. Mm. Before that, I should say, images of all these cards are going to be on the website because um, you can, so you can see exactly what we've been talking about. But uh, yeah, let's have the last of the proper cards okay. from you, Bonnie. This is kind of a semi-longish story, but uh, my late father, Ben, was born in Mississippi on the Delta and um, grew up in the 30s. And if you were black and you grew up in Mississippi, you know, there's a Nina Simone song about that, which I can't repeat, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> and um, he was an autodidact. So what he did was he ordered the Encyclopedia Britannica and it was sold door to door and he would buy a volume every week. And then he would sit down with us and we'd read and look at the pictures. And I had a little tiny little space in the bedroom I shared with my sisters. And outside of the window, I could hear the Illinois Central Railroad in the distance. You know, a nice little house, but in the distance, there's always a railroad line. So I would sit and listen to this train thinking of where is it going and I really want to go, and flip through the Encyclopedia Britannica and look at all these images from the British Museum, all the Parthenon marbles, everything, and I think, well, God, what is this place? So I finally arrived here in the 80s, and at the end of the 80s, I was working at the Tricycle and given a library card for the British Library, which was at the time the British Museum. And I just remember I called my father up and said, I'm going to the British Museum. I got a car and everything's my father. Oh, you so he's so excited. And in about uh, 2007, he had passed away by then. I got this email from Neil McGregor, who had just taken over as head of the British Museum, and he said, "Would you like to come to dinner at the British Museum?" And I didn't know at the time, that when the English tell you they wanted you to come over for dinner, they're sizing you up or something. (laughs) So I went, and I had a meal in this huge hall. And then about a week later, I was called and said, would you like to interview for a position on the board? So I went, and they selected me, and I was on the board. And I thought, well, 
you know, what can I do as a black American woman on the board of the British Museum? I just, you know, I was trying to figure out things. And I didn't realize at the time, at the early days, that what Neil was doing was he was rebuilding the museum. That's what I walked into. I learned a lot there. And it's been a cherished time for me. I became deputy chair and started to watch Neil and colleagues actually rebuild that museum so that it became the most popular museum in the world. And in the early days in 2008, I was sort of scrambling around trying to figure out what to do, and I didn't know anything. And I asked one of the board members, a very distinguished, uh, which I didn't know at the time, because everybody calls each other by their first name, and I and I, it's very American. I just didn't look him up. So I said, hey, Barry, uh, why don't we do like uh, like this talk? And he said, okay. And, of course, I didn't realize that he was Barry Cunliffe, who is a huge—I mean, I just didn't know. Anyway, so he said, yeah, so we did this talk, and I was so awed by Barry. We just got very esoteric, to be honest with you. We just got really down the weeds. And we had, like, uh, 20 people who showed up. (laughs) But they were really into it, you know. 20 happy people. Yes, exactly. And I was really into it while I was talking about uh, the archaeology of this country and everything and— I didn't realize we were sitting on the world experts and blah, 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 we were having a good time. The next day I got this card from Neil McGregor, which uh, I've got here. And it is, it's a picture of an Indian medicine man called the Flyer. It was painted by John White in 1566. It's a watercolor, and it's in the collection of the British Museum, Department of Prints and Drawings. And it's a handwritten card. I thought we were having, we were having a ball. This is what Neil said. My dear Bonnie, I put my head around on Thursday evening, and oh dear, I was so disappointed to see a few people listening to Barry and you. I am sorry that we failed to muster the audience that should have been there, and thank you a thousand, thousand times for this, and we appreciate everything you do with much love from Neil. And it's in his sort of hasty hand. And I thought, oh, we were having a great time, but you know, so yeah, exactly. But it was very Neil, and it was in his hand. He sat and he wrote it, and he found the card, and it shows the kind of focus and dedication and love. And it reminded me of a time that when I had to leave the board because we have mandatory time, as it should be. It took me a long time to go back. It was sort of like, you know, you you leave something you love very much. And it's almost like being, uh, I guess, a mother-in-law in a way. You don't want to go back there bustling around because the new people need to settle in. You don't start dusting. About... <laughs> so I didn't go back for a few years, but it's my neighborhood, so I'm, I'm going back now. But it was a great time for me. It was a great time. And Eight years. Did Neil McGregor get a discount on the card, do you think? Um, I'm sure probably they fell over to give it to him, to be honest with you. But uh, (laughs) it was a great time. It's one of those things when you're like a kid and you don't realize until you've left that you were in the room with a great person. This was just your friend. And then suddenly you realize, you know, years later, oh, my God, I was there at that time. So that's it. And that's a physical reminder and memory of that. Yes, of that time. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I mean, thank you both for such touching cards that you've shared with us. It's really, really kind. And I'm entranced by these stories. It's wonderful. Well, a message I read a lot on old cards when I'm digging around for my various postcard enterprises is time is passing too quickly. And uh, <laughs> it is. So we're almost coming to the end now. I've got a couple more cards from 
my, and I feel a bit trivial compared with the stuff I'm doing today. <laughs> nothing wrong with being trivial from time to time. It's very important. Here's actually. a couple. Yeah, here's absolutely. a couple of cards. They're quick as well. Here's a couple of cards. This is from uh, it's another multi-view. It's really a symphony in, in pale blue from the South Cornwall coast. <laughs> Paul Ruin, Paul Perro, Port Scatho, Lou Mevagissi. Uh, card from 1976. Jacqueline and I were playing, trying to splash each other, but she hit me with a stone, and my ankle is swollen. <laughs> so that's Great. a bit regrettable. And then here's another one. This is a black and white card from 1966. Looks like it could be from uh, 1946, yes. doesn't it? Cards are always old-fashioned, aren't they? They're, yes. always, they're always sort of 20 years behind. I don't know why. So this one, uh, it's a picture of Canterbury Cathedral. Yes. Very nice picture. Really Gosh. slightly unlikely clouds, but anyway. And this one says, Mabel, you'd go crackers over the shops here. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen such a variety. And nice assistance in jeans. <laughs> So oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Something about their experience up to that point. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. And then they sent a picture of the Canterbury it's, Cathedral. It's very like one of the things that I like on Twitter is I don't like people who kind of document whole conversations that people are having who they don't know. But I like fragments of overheard conversations mm. where you don't know what came before and you don't know what's coming after. Yes. And it lends them a surreality and a poetry. Yes, absolutely. And that's what certain postcards are like, the two you just read out. They're fragments of longer conversations that we'll never know. All right, well, we've got one last card, which I'm going to hand over to you, Andrea, as our um, musical expert. Ooh, have oh, a, see, I see, know yeah. what these are. Have a look what at this for us. It says, see. Medley of Sea Songs. Uh, and it says, Greetings, Phonoscope in Music. And I have a few of these at home myself. It's a postcard that is also a record. So you play it. And this is a view of Blackpool Tower. Yeah, Blackpool right? Tower looks great there. It looks oh, amazing. Yeah. And uh, what would yeah. it sound like? What would it mean? It's from 1958, medley of sea songs. So I guess oh, it'd be shanties. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, let, let, shall we see if we can make it play? Yeah. Oh, I'd love, I'd to, love hear to hear it. I'd love to hear this. David yeah. is doing all the technical production for us today. He's going to come through and we'll see if we Brilliant. can make I would it play. Love and to it, hear says, this. it says here phonoscope patents applied for. I wonder if they ever got their Never patents. Never granted. Oh, here we go. That pleasing crackle. <laughs> there we go. Jazz. Success. It works. There, there, there. Yeah, yeah. It. it's a kind of uh, jaunty sea. Yeah, they swing those fish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Blow the man down, bullies. Blow the man down. Brilliant. As the sea shanties on the postcard play at 45 glorious RPM, that's it for this time on Podcasts from the Past. I'd like to thank my first-class guests for sharing their postcards from their pasts, Andrew Mayle and Bonnie Greer. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Bye for now. I'm a flying fish sailor just home from Hong Kong. Give us some time to blow the man down. What shall we do with the drunken sailor? What shall we do with the drunken morning? You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, 
at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.